ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد تريدن ورن الحديث of Abu Hurairah here Al-Imam Al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala says حدثنا أبو اليمان قال أخبرنا شعيب قال حدثنا أبو الزناد عن الأعرج عن أبي هريرة أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال يد الله ملآ لا يغيضها نفقه صحاء الليل والنهار وقال أرأيتم ما أنفق منذ خلق السماوات والأرض فإنه لم يغض ما في يده وقال عرشه على الماء وبيده الأخرى الميزان يخفض ويرفع This hadith is still in the chapter regarding the names and attributes of Allah. It is in the chapter particularly or the section particularly talking about the attribute of the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It mentions here the hand of Allah is full and it does not decrease when giving Nafaqa meaning spending or giving upon creation, yani. That it is giving in the night and the day. And then he said, Have you seen what Allah has given since the creation of the heavens and the earth? For indeed, it does not decrease what is in his hand. And he said, His throne is above the water. And in his other hand is the mizan, the criteria that he degrades and raises people with. The narration then begins by saying that the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mal'a la yaghiduha nafaqa. That the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what you may say meaning it is full, that it does not decrease when Allah gives His creation. Allah gives to His creation day and night. And you notice in particular, as Shaykh Al-Athameen says, that the phrase used is al-layla wa-nahar, not fil-layli wa fil-nahar. Because fi, it is something that indicates a dharfiya, meaning a zone. So you would not want this to mean that Allah gives sometimes within the zone of the day and night, but rather that Allah's giving is constant. Allah is always giving to His creation, and it does not decrease what is in the dominion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. فَإِنْ قَالَ قَائِلْ What if a person was to say now, 
Here, the hadith tells us that Allah gives to his creation. Allah answers the du'as of his creation, gives them what they want. And Allah is constantly giving to his creation since the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth. But all of that giving from Allah to his creation does not decrease anything from the kingdom or the dominion or from what Allah has whatsoever. If a person was to say that the giving of Allah to his creation isn't really taking anything out of the kingdom of Allah or the dominion of Allah because the creation is from the dominion of Allah anyway. Meaning, you have somebody who's in charge. Somebody's in charge of a, of a factory. And they give all of their workers uh, the uniform to wear. The person in the factory in charge gives all of the people, his staff, the uniform to wear. Once they've done their work or they leave their job, they got to hand in the uniform back to him. Or he gives the staff other uh, items or tools to do the job with. All of those tools, those items, those uniforms that he's giving to his staff, they are the property and the possession of him. He's not giving them to him, to the workers as their property now. It's his property. So now he can give and give and give all of those tools and all of those items and whatever is required to his workers. It's not decreasing his assets in any way. Why not? Because all of those assets he's giving them to what he still owns within his uh, management what he owns under his control those items haven't left his control so you could say in that way it's impossible for his uh, itinerary or for his assets to decrease he's not giving them out of his company in the first place he's giving them within his company so they are always remaining within his company he is therefore never losing any assets, no, ma no matter how many he gives to his workers. Correct? Because all of those assets are remaining within the company under his control. It's never exiting his company and going out. It's not charity he's giving, which is then gone from his company. It is within his company. The sheikh says, what if somebody comes and gives you this type of idea and says, Allah giving to his creation, it's obviously not going to decrease anything from the kingdom of Allah, because the creation is part of the kingdom of Allah. So Allah is only giving still within his kingdom. So of course that's not decreasing anything from what Allah has. If somebody comes and says that to you, they say, well, of course it's not decreasing anything from what Allah has because Allah is giving to his creation and his creation are part of his kingdom and dominion anyway. So nothing is leaving his dominion and kingdom anyway. 
It is going to his creation who are in his dominion and kingdom. So that is not decreasing anything from anything. Everything is remaining within the dominion and kingdom of Allah. If somebody was to say that, as Shaykh al he mentions that you explain to the person regardless, even if it was the case, if it could be the case, and it cannot, because everything is in the control of Allah, but even if it was, then it still wouldn't decrease the kingdom of Allah. If something was supposedly to say, going to exit, and it cannot, but if it was to exit from the kingdom of Allah, if Allah gave all of that, it would still not decrease from his kingdom. And it cannot anyway, because everything is in the control of Allah. The Shaykh, he gives an example of the hadith, the hadith Qudsi, whereby Allah mentioned in that hadith Qudsi, Ya ibadi, O my servants, Law anna awwalakum wa akhirakum wa insakum wa jinnakum qamu fi sa'idin wahidin wa sa'aluni fa'a'taytu kulla wahidin mas'alata ma naqasa thalika mimma indi illa kama yanqusu al-mikhyat Allah said, O my servants, if the first of you and the last of you, the first of you is Adam salam, the last of you to the last of you. How many people is that then altogether? We don't know, but how many people is that all together? Seven billion are alive right now on the earth, they say. Seven billion, they say, are alive on this earth right now. So how many have been alive on this earth altogether since Adam salam? If right now, within this span of 200 years, from the firstborn to the last dying, there's seven billion in this span of a couple of hundred years. Then what about from the beginning? How many people altogether? Big billions. Lots. Many. Billions. Billions. But then on top of that, وَجِنَّكُمْ From the very first jinn to the last of the jinn. And the jinn came even before the humans. They came even before Adam salam. If all of those jinn and all of those humans stood on a plane of land and every single one made their personal dua to Allah, every single one asking for something, every human from the beginning, every jinn from the beginning, billions and billions we're talking, Every single one makes their dua to Allah for something. Allah says, if I was to then give, answer the dua of every single one, 
answer the dua and give whatever every single one asked for, then that would not decrease what I have whatsoever, except how a needle decreases the water of the sea when you dip it in. You imagine a big sea, a big ocean, huge ocean. You get a needle. You dip the needle into that sea. Then you take it out onto the beach. How many drops of water come off the needle? Two or three tiny drops of water. Within two seconds, they're all dried out anyway. Two or three drops. So how much water have you taken out of the sea with that needle? How long would you have to keep doing that to empty out the sea? Years, you'll be dead before it happens. So that needle, when you dip it into the sea and then you take it out, that water you've taken out of the sea, it is basically absolutely nothing. It is nothing. That is the example Allah gives. That if he was to give every single person, every single jinni, what they asked for, gave them all what they wanted, it would not decrease from the kingdom of Allah anything. Just like when you get a needle and you dip it into an ocean, how much water you take out is absolutely nothing. The sea levels aren't going to drop. They're not going to drop with your needle. So that is the example given here, indicating the great vastness of the kingdom of Allah, the, the fact that it does not decrease, it is not taken away from whatsoever. And that's what the beginning of the narration tells us, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His hand is full of giving. He gives to His creation, gives to them day and night, and it does not decrease anything from the kingdom of Allah, from the dominion of Allah. Night and day Allah gives to His servants. And then it mentions, Have you seen, do you consider how much Allah has given since the beginning of the creations and the uh, uh, beginning of the heavens and the earth? Since the beginning of the heavens and the earth, their creation. How much Allah has given to His creation? فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يَغْضْ مِنْهُ أَوْ مَا فِي يَدِهِ That does not and has not decreased a thing from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has. And then it says, وَعَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ This uh, talks about the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are some narrations that mention how the throne of Allah is above the water. That there is some water. And that the throne of Allah is above the water. The Shaykh says, هَذَا مَاءٌ غَيْرُ الْمَاءِ الْأَوَّلِ الَّذِي كَانَ قَبْلَ خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ فَهُوَ مَا بَيْنَ السَّمَاءِ السَّابِعَ وَالْعَرْشِ مَاءٌ عَظِيمٌ عَلَيْهِ الْعَرْشِ That above the seven heavens, then there is some water. And the throne of Allah is above that water. Then the narration says, And in his other hand is Al-Mizan, meaning the 
justice, the mizan, the criteria, the balance. يعني إحدى يديه للعطاء وهو فضل محض والأخرى فيها العدل. That it has justice. That Allah does that justice. يخفض ويرفع. That Allah debases, lowers people, degrades people, and Allah raises people. أي يخفض من اقتضت حكمته خفضة. Allah degrades those whom by his wisdom were deserving of degradation, of being lowered. وَيَرْفَعُ مَنِ اقْتَضَتْ حِكْمَتُهُ رَفْعَ And Allah raises those whom by his wisdom were necessitating to be raised. كَمَا قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى Just as Allah mentioned, قُلِ اللَّهُمَّ مَالِكَ الْمُلْكِ تُؤْتِ الْمُلْكَ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتَنْزِعُ الْمُلْكَ مِمَّنْ تَشَاءُ وَتُعِزُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتُذِلُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ بِيَدِكَ الْخَيْرِ إِنَّكَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ Let's say, O Allah, مَالِكَ الْمُلْكِ The one who is the king of the dominion, the kingdom, you give the kingdom to whom you will and you take it away from whom you will. And you honor whom you will, and you debase, lower and degrade whom you will. In your hand is all goodness, and indeed you are all capable of every affair. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one who raises the people, and He is the one who degrades the people. And that is similar to the narration regarding the Qur'an, the religion. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرْفَعُ بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا وَيَضَعُ بِهِ الْآخَرِينَ That Allah raises the people with this book, the Qur'an. And Allah degrades others via it. Meaning those who study it and learn it and practice it. Then Allah raises them. And those who are negligent of it, negligent of the religion. Then those are the ones who are degraded. So that is within the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those who Allah gives honor to and those whom Allah dishonors. So the point of this narration here was the beginning. And then at the end. Both sections affirm the hands of Allah. The hands of Allah that Allah gives with to His creation. The hands of Allah that mentions the balance in it. The justice of Allah. The one who deserves honor. The one who deserves dishonor. Affirming the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fa'ida, the shaykh mentions a benefit at the end. وَهُوَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ في ستة أيام وكان عرشه على الماء. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth in six days, and his throne was above the water. هذا ماء فوق السماء السابعة. This water that is being referenced here, it is a body of water that is above the seventh heaven. 
كما جاء ذلك في سياق الحديث الذي ذكره الشيخ محمد بن عبد الوهاب في آخر كتاب التوحيد There is a hadith mentioned in kitab al-tawheed right at the end بين السماء السابعة والعرش بحر بين أعلاه وأسفله مسيرة خمسمائة عام There is a narration even though some of the scholars have talked about its authenticity that between the seventh heaven and then the throne of Allah is an ocean between the top of it and the bottom of it meaning the depth of it is a travel a distance of 500 years so this indicates that body of water that is above the seventh heaven and then the throne of Allah is above that even though this narration with this wording has been spoken about then after that, the hadith of Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhumah قال حدثنا مقدم ابن محمد قال حدثني عم القاسم ابن يحيى عن عبيد الله عن نافع عن ابن عمر radiyallahu anhumah عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال إن الله يقبض يوم القيامة الأرض وتكون السماوات بيمينه ثم يقول أنا الملك رواه سعيد عن مالك وقال عمر بن حمزة سمعت سالما سمعت ابن عمر عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بهذا وقال أبو اليمان أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال أخبرني أبو سلمة أن أبا هريرة قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقبض الله الأرض In these two narrations now the narration of Abu Huraira and before it the narration of Ibn Umar رضي الله عنهم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said indeed Allah grasps the earth on the day of judgment Allah grasps the earth on the day of judgment and the heavens will be in his right hand and then he says I am the king and al-malik in the other narration that Allah grasps the earth these narrations now again are indicating the attribute of Allah of the hands. Al-Mu'allifu rahimahullah saqa hadha lil-isharati ila annahu la qabda illa biyadillah. The author is mentioning, Al-Bukhari has mentioned these two narrations talking about how the heavens and the earth will be grasped by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his hand on that day. Indicating again the attribute of the hands for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is an ayah in reference to it. And that is in a zumar وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ 
and the earth, all of it will be qabdatuhu on the day of judgment. Qabdah, it is something that has been grasped. It is like, for those who study Arabic, it is like the maf'ul bihi. It is the one upon which the action has occurred. It is the thing which has been grasped. So here the example being given or the way it's phrased, the ayah says the earth will be grasped. It will be the item grasped by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day. تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ لِلَّهِ يَدًا يَقْضِضُ بِهَا This indicates therefore that Allah has a hand that He will grasp the earth in on that day. خِلَافًا لِأَهْلِ التَّعْطِيلِ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ الْمُرَادَ بِالْقَابْضَ السَّيْطَرَ عَلَىٰ الْأَرْضِ وَالسُّلْطَانَ عَلَيْهِمْ The people of innovation again upon their misinterpretations claimed that the meaning of this is just that Allah will have the power upon the earth. Allah will have the authority upon the earth. Not that Allah will actually grasp the earth in His hand. Why did the people of innovation say that? Why would they say such a thing? Otherwise what? Otherwise, they'd have to affirm the hand of Allah who can break it down. Why did the people of innovation not accept the narration as it is? These ones in Bukhari talking about Allah grasping the earth and the heavens in his hand. The ayah in the Quran telling us the earth will be grasped on that day. Why could they not just accept that Allah has the attribute of hands and that Allah will, as these narrations clearly say, grasp the earth in his hand on that day? Why could they not do that? That is one problem. The problem of imagination. The people of innovation when it comes to these types of narrations always have this problem of imagination. So now they say, okay, so Allah's got a hand He's going to grab the earth with. So they start imagining how that hand is, how that grasping of the earth will occur. And then they start saying, well, no, we can't do that then. We can't start imagining those kinds of things and imagining Allah grasping the earth and imagining the hand of Allah Because if we start doing that, we're going to really just be imagining things we recognize in creation. And so we're going to be comparing Allah to creation. And so to stop us from doing that, we're going to have to either... There's a number. Now there's options. Multiple choice. So now when they've got to this stage where they've looked at these narrations... Allah's going to grasp the earth on that day, the heavens and the earth in His hand. They've looked at that along with all of the other narrations about the hands of Allah. Allah created Adam with His hands, etc. We all did them. They've looked at all of these and they've said, no, hand of Allah. Hand. They said, no, this is a hand. That would be comparing Allah to creation. We can't say Allah has a hand. So, 
because they can only understand from these texts what their imagination tells them, hands, even though we've said absolutely not. You do not compare Allah to creation and imagine. But that's what they do. So then they start imagining this. So then they say, wait, okay, we can't do that. We can't compare Allah to creation. So now what are they going to do then? As far as they are concerned, if they affirm these texts as they are, then in their imagination and in their warped minds, this is all they can imagine and therefore they believe they are comparing Allah to creation. You have to declare the freedom of Allah from any comparison to creation. So now they have a multiple choice of how they can do that. Either they will just reject. They'll say, no, Allah doesn't have hands. These narrations, X, Y, and Z, whatever they say, Allah doesn't have hands. Just straight out rejection. Ta'atil of the attributes of Allah. Or as another multiple choice, they may choose instead of that. Because if you say that to them, so you're rejecting what Allah tells us in the Quran, in Bukhari, authentic narrations. Now some of them may not want to take the option of rejection because they are authentic narrations, ayat of the Quran. So now others may take a different approach. And that approach may be to, to make... Ta'atil was the first bunch. Tahrif, distortion. They say, okay, we're not rejecting the ayat. We're not rejecting these hadith of Bukhari. We accept all of them. But what they mean is, and then they give you a thousand different meanings depending on who you're talking to. What they mean is that Allah will control the earth on the day of judgment. Not that there will be any grasping of the earth in reality. What they mean is that Allah is just generous. Or what they mean is that Allah is just something this or something that. What they mean is that Allah just has power. So they give multiple different interpretations. All of these interpretations are okay for them because all of these interpretations will be such that you are not affirming the attribute of hands in reality. They will all be interpretations that move away from what the text actually says in its base form. That is an option. But then you may say to them, where have you got these interpretations from? How do you know that these narrations, they're not referring to actual in reality, the attribute of hands to Allah, and they're talking about the power and the ability? How do you know that? Where have you got those interpretations from? So now, can they say they've got them from the Prophet Never, because there's no hadith with those interpretations. Can they say they got them from the Sahaba? Never, because they won't find any statements of the Sahaba with those interpretations. Can they even say any of the Salaf? They're not going to be able to find anybody from the Prophet the Sahaba, the Salaf, to back up these interpretations. Because they have come from their own line of Imams and their dreams and whatever else. Their logic and their rationale. Not from the texts or the evidences or from the Sahaba or the Salaf. So then you're going to say to them, in that case, these interpretations of yours, they're not really that reliable, are they? They've not come from the Quran, the Sunnah, the Prophet, the Sahaba, the Salaf. So some of them then, 
may decide to take a third option on the multiple choice. They may want to get themselves out of that problem. The problem of when you say to them, where have you got these interpretations from? Have you got evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah? And they obviously haven't got anything. And they know these interpretations are pulled out of thin air. So now they may want to avoid all of that problem. So they go to a third option. The third option is the option of tafwid. They say, look, we accept the narrations. We don't make any interpretations of them. We simply just leave it to Allah. Whatever they mean, they mean. We have no idea what they mean. Whatever they mean, they mean. And Allah knows best. We'll affirm them. We won't try and make any interpretations of them. So now the first two refutations, they think they're out of them. The first refutation was, why are you rejecting these names and attributes? They say, we affirm them. Second one was, where have you got these other interpretations of yours from? They say, we're not interpreting them. No interpretations. They've come to this third point. They say, look, we just accept these narrations as they are. But the meaning of this, Allah grasps the earth on that day and Allah created Adam with his hands. The meanings of all of that, we have no idea. We leave that to Allah. That sounds okay or not? That Allah tells us he created Adam with his hands. We believe in that, they say. We, or rather, they say we affirm that statement. We're not going to make any interpretation. We're not going to say it means Allah created Adam with his power or anything. Nothing. We're going to affirm it as it is. No interpretation. But the meaning, we have absolutely no idea. We're going to leave that to Allah. That is the third option they take. And that is false also. Because as Ahlu Sunnah, we affirm them. We don't make interpretations of our own on them. But we don't say we have no idea what they mean. We say we do have the generalized understanding. But the details and the imagination and the howness, we don't. Allah tells us he created Adam with his own hands. We believe Allah has hands. How, what, description, imagination? Nothing. That is beyond us. But we affirm Allah has hands. These people on the third choice, they are not in reality affirming that at all. So what does it mean when they say we're affirming it? Like we said before a few lessons ago, they are only really affirming the sounds that means. They are affirming the word. Allah grasps on the day of judgment. Yes, Allah grasps the earth on the day of judgment. You affirm that? They say, yes, we affirm that. What does it mean then? Does Allah grasp the earth on the day of judgment with his hands? We don't know that though. So what are you affirming? What are they affirming then? Nothing really. What are they affirming? They claim to be affirming. When you tell them, okay, so therefore Allah grasps the earth on the day of judgment with his hands. They say, no, we don't know that. So then you say, what are you affirming then? And the reality is, therefore, they are affirming nothing. That is the falsehood of that third approach. Ahlus Sunnah, we affirm these names and attributes to Allah as is befitting of the majesty of Allah. As is befitting, suitable to the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Then Al-Imam Al-Bukhari goes on to say, حَدَّثَنَا مُسَدَّدَ قَالْ سَمِعَ يَحْيَى بْنِ سَعِيدَ عَنْ سُفْيَانَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي مَنْصُورَ وَسُلَيْمَانَ عَنْ إِبْرَاهِيمَ عَنْ عَبِيدَةَ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَنَّ يَهُودِيًّا جَاءَ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَقَالْ يَا مُحَمَّدْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُمْسِكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ عَلَى إِصْبَعْ والأراضين على إصبع والجبال على إصبع والشجر على إصبع والخلائق على إصبع ثم يقول أنا الملك فضحك رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى بدت نواجذه ثم قرأ وما قدر الله حق قدره قال وقال يحيى ابن سعيد وزاد فيه فضيل ابن عياض عن منصور عن إبراهيم عن عبيدة عن عبد الله فضحك رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم تعجبا وتصديقا له The narration highlights it says that a Jew came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and said O Muhammad Indeed, Allah is going to grasp the heavens upon a finger. Allah is going to grasp the heavens upon a finger. And the earths upon a finger. And the mountains upon a finger. And the trees upon a finger. And the creation upon a finger. And then he will say, I am the king. The Jewish person said all of that to the Prophet ﷺ, that Allah is going to grasp all of these things, the heavens on a finger, the earth on, the earths on a finger, the uh, uh, mountains on a finger, the trees on a finger, the creation on a finger, and then he's going to say, I am the king. So then when the Prophet ﷺ heard the Jewish man come and say this to him, he laughed. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam laughed until you could see his inner teeth, meaning a laughter, that the face laughed, and you could see his inner teeth, the mawla teeth. And then he recited to the man, وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ That they have not, uh, they have not recognized or understood the true a station or the true station of Allah. They have not understood the, the true ability and station of Allah. In another uh, addition to it, it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ laughed in amazement and affirmation of what the Jewish person said to him. The Prophet ﷺ laughed out of amazement that this Jewish man is coming and mentioning all of these things which are true and so he laughed from the amazement and in affirmation that absolutely that is it that is what will occur that is what will occur that Allah will take the heavens upon a finger and the earths upon a finger and the mountains upon a finger and the trees upon a finger and the creations upon a finger that will occur and that is correct so the Prophet ﷺ laughed at the Jewish man 
in amazement at his statement and in affirmation of it. There's another narration that Imam al-Bukhari mentions here, exactly the same, but with the, uh, a slight uh, deficiency in the numbers mentioned. قال حدثنا عمر بن حفص بن غياث قال حدثنا أبي قال حدثنا العمش سمعت إبراهيم قال سمعت علقم يقول قال عبد الله جاء رجل إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من أهل الكتاب فقال يا أبا القاسم A man from the people of the book came to the Prophet and said أو أبا القاسم إن الله يمسك السماوات على إصبع Allah will grasp the heavens upon a finger. And the earths upon a finger. The earths, it's mentioned in the Quran that there are how many heavens? Seven heavens. And the ayah mentions that there are seven earths, or that there are earths similar to them. That there are earths similar to them. And the heavens have been mentioned as Seven, therefore the earths are seven. Scholars have mentioned the seven earths. So all of the heavens on a finger, all of the earths on a finger, all of the trees on a finger, and all of the creation upon a finger. Here, therefore, four are mentioned. Whereas in the previous narration, five were mentioned. And then Allah will say, I am the king, I am the king. So he says, the narrator, I saw the Prophet ﷺ laugh until his molar teeth were visible. And then he recited the ayah, This narration is now talking about the fingers that Allah will take all of these aspects of creation upon his fingers. And in other narrations, it affirms this too. إِنَّ قُلُوبَ بَنِي آدَمْ كُلَّهَا بَيْنَ إِسْبَعَيْنِ مِنْ أَصَابِعِ الرَّحْمَانِ That the hearts of the servants, all of them are between two fingers from the fingers of Ar-Rahman. So our belief, therefore, we will affirm this attribute because it is an attribute that Allah has mentioned about himself and we will not end up imagining things having descriptions in our minds imagining the appearance of things not at all Allah has hands, Allah has fingers as are befitting of his majesty just like Allah told you he is al-basir, the all-hearing, the all-seeing Allah hears, Allah sees, as is befitting of His Majesty, even though we can hear and see. But Allah hears and sees, as is befitting of His Majesty. We have hands and fingers. Allah has hands and fingers, as are befitting of His Majesty. When you talk about Allah being the all-hearing and the all-seeing and the all-knowledgeable, that is easy to understand, even though we can hear and see and have knowledge. But you understand there is no comparison. Allah is the all-hearing, the all-seeing, the all-knowledgeable in uh, all as is befitting of His Majesty with all of the knowledge and far above what the creation have. The same with the hands and the fingers, etc. We have them, but we say Allah has these attributes as are befitting of His Majesty.
not with any comparison or resemblance whatsoever. Therefore, we affirm that because Allah has affirmed that. And as a side point of benefit, particularly for those who study Arabic again, they say that the word finger, usbu' in Arabic, or isba', however you want to pronounce it, has no possibility of error in it. That is a word in Arabic that no matter how unqualified in Arabic you are, you cannot make a mistake in its pronunciation. Not in the i'rab of things, but its pronunciation as a word. That is because it has all nine combinations possible with the Dhamma Fatha Kasra. You can say usbu' usba' usbi' asbu' asbi' asba' isbu' isbi' isba' Pronounce it in whatever way, it's all correct. And then he mentions also, you can mention usbu' with a wow added also. Then where it mentioned that the Prophet laughed at the Jewish man when he made those statements. We know that the narrator told us, the narrator himself told us, that the Prophet laughed out of amazement that this Jewish man has come with these statements of truth. And in affirmation of him, tasdiqan lahu, the narrator tells us that. But the people of innovation, they come along and they say, the Prophet laughed at the Jewish man when the Jewish man made those statements in rejection of them, laughing at them. What is this nonsense? That is how they want to portray it as. That is how they want to portray it as. That the Prophet laughed at him to brush him away. That is not true. What is that? Mocking him, laughing at him. What are these statements? That is how the people of innovation interpret it. When you read their explanations of things, that is what they'll say. The Prophet laughed him off in rejection of these statements of his. Even though the narrator himself tells you that this was what he saw. He was there. He saw the Prophet laugh. He could weigh up the situation and gauge what was going on. See the reactions, everything live. And he's telling you it was there. I saw it. It was because the Prophet was amazed at this individual coming with these statements of truth. And he was affirming him upon them. The narrator who was there and saw it is telling you the Prophet was laughing out of affirmation on him. Amazement and affirmation that it's true, absolutely what you've said. So the narrator who was there saw it all. That is a clear proof of the meaning here. And this is an example. This is an example of all of the people out there, whether they are Tablighi, Ikhwani, Sufi, whatever they might be. Everybody claims to follow Quran and Sunnah, everybody. Tablighi will say to you Quran, Sunnah. Takfiri will say to you Quran, Sunnah. Ikhwani, Quran, Sunnah. Sufi, Quran, Sunnah. Everybody will say to you Quran, Sunnah. When we are studying, we always say Quran, Sunnah, and the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. Because who is going to have the best understanding of the Quran and Sunnah other than 
the people who were there when the Quran and Sunnah was being revealed, they learnt it directly from the Prophet Isn't their understanding of it going to be better than your Imam who was alive just 400 years ago or 500 years ago, whenever it was? Any of your Imams, whoever they were, none of them were there and saw the revelation. None of them were there when the Prophet laughed. The Sahaba, the Salaf were. So whose understanding is going to be superior? No matter how many Imams you have, is it going to be them? Or is it going to be the ones who, like in this narration, were there and saw these things happening live? Who is going to have the better understanding? The one who was there and saw it and learnt it directly. That's why we say Quran, Sunnah, with the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. Whereas all of the other people of innovation can only ever say Quran, Sunnah, they can never say the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. Because that would refute every innovation thereupon. The Takfiris would never find any of the Salaf defending their position. The Diobandis and Tablighis and Ikhwanis would never find any of the Salaf defending their position. Never. That's why you hear them say, a while back, when they were saying that there are so many Imams in history who were Ash'ari. Historically, okay, there were. There were many Imams throughout history. They were people of knowledge, people of understanding. But they had some beliefs of the Ash'ari from their backgrounds and where they were raised in their environments. There were. There were many throughout history. So one of their proofs they brought was so many Imams of the Ash'ari throughout history. So many of them are imma of the Ash'ari. You say to them, okay, there may have been Imams throughout history. Bring us from the Sahaba who were upon the belief of the Ash'ari. Bring us from the Tabi'een, from the students of the Sahaba who were upon the belief of the Ash'ari. Bring us the Salaf. Don't just tell us there were Imams and Imams and Imams. There may have been Imams, but our religion is not upon numbers. It is not upon masses, it is upon Qur'an, Sunnah, and the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. So now the people of innovation want to tell you the Prophet ﷺ was laughing at the Jewish man in rejection of him. That interpretation they've got from where? The Salaf or outside of the Salaf somewhere? Wherever it was. Outside of the Salaf somewhere. Because the understanding and the interpretation of the Salaf on this narration is, as the narrator says, that the Prophet ﷺ was laughing in affirmation of the statement. So Ahlul Sunnah, the Salafis, Quran Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf on it. The ones who were there and learnt it from the Prophet ﷺ. Everybody else with the understanding of the Imam. Even if it's the likes of Imam Abu Hanifa, great Imam. A great Imam. But he was not there to see this narration. He was not there to see other narrations. So even if they try to quote to you the great Imams, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Ahmed, whoever they quote, if it is for something incorrect, then that is never going to take precedence over the understanding of those earlier generations, in particular the Sahaba who were there and saw it. So here's an example of where we are taking the understanding of the Salaf and not the understanding and interpretation of the people of innovation, who came thereafter. So that is another narration there highlighting 
or two narrations there highlighting the attribute of the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the end of the chapter regarding the attribute of the hands. Next week we'll begin with the new chapter which begins after that. Uh, the new chapter with a new topic, another attribute, inshallah ta'ala next week after the Isha prayer. So we'll conclude upon that for tonight, unless there's anything to add. It doesn't necessarily indicate that. What if somebody said it is again absolutely as it is, but the mizan is in the hand of Allah, supposing. It's possible, you couldn't reject it. It is possible, that wouldn't be rejected. But there is a point the scholars mention if it is going to be otherwise. Like we've said before, you always take, you remember the explanation about Muhammad, I saw Muhammad, I saw a lion. You always take the default primary meaning, true? Unless there is some context to indicate otherwise. So if I say, I saw a lion in the jungle yesterday and then we sat down and had dinner. So now I'm talking about the guy everybody knows as Muhammad the lion. We sat down and had dinner. The context tells you, I don't mean a physical, actual animal lion. I mean the person. So that applies here in the names and attributes. If something is mentioned that indicates an attribute in the Quran and Sunnah, but the context clearly tells you what the meaning of it is there, then that is okay. We've already said the default meaning is taken unless you can prove something otherwise. Here in this narration, if it was going to be said that it is a mizan in terms of the adl, then that is okay because the context of the narration indicates it. The narration is talking about how Allah gives with one hand and the other hand Allah raises people, debases people, Allah raises some people, Allah degrades other people, Allah honors some people, Allah dishonors other people. All of that honoring and dishonoring, raising and degrading occurs by the justice of Allah. So it could be said that in this context, there is a context to indicate that meaning and that it's not just the physical meaning. Even though if you were to say that it can be just the physical meaning, there's no rejection of that. But that's the point with the names and attributes. If something clearly indicates a meaning, then okay, then that is understood. But if it isn't, then it's always the default primary meaning. There's a better example of that, but maybe we'll come to that when it comes to the asaq, the shin. That is a better example, but we'll come to that when it comes to it, inshallah. Anything else? In the, in the hadith um, last week, um, about the intercession of the Jews, um, towards the end of the hadith, what does it mean when Prophet said that there is the name? What's the full part? Literally the translation, the one who has been held back by the Qur'an, 
And what do they say in your, in your uh, translations there, Mohsen Khan? Here, the one who's been held back by the Qur'an and the fire is obligated upon him. But what's the word he uses? Imprisoned, same thing then. Held back and imprisoned. So except for those whom the Qur'an has held back and imprisoned. What's the meaning of that then? And hellfire is obligatory upon them. It's really what we just said before, during the lesson. And there's the narration actually mentions that wording. The Qur'an is either a proof for you or a proof against you. You practice the Qur'an, it's a proof for you. You don't practice the Qur'an and what's in it, it becomes a proof against you. Allah raises people through the Qur'an, meaning those who learn it and practice it, and Allah degrades and dishonors people via the Qur'an, meaning those who neglect it and don't practice it. So that would be the apparent meaning of that section there. Those who rejected the Qur'an, rejected the revelation from Allah, then the hellfire is obligated upon them and they have been imprisoned in the hellfire as a consequence. That was a homework, wasn't it? We didn't set that as a homework. In whose hand is my soul? Because I haven't researched into it. Anybody else look into it or not? The narration's about in whose hand is my soul. What was your question about it? Um, do we take the literal understanding that the soul of the Prophet is in the hand of Allah? In this context now, from the narrations we've done today, it would be completely possible that all of the creation is in the grasp of Allah on that day. All of the souls are in the grasp of Allah on that day. In this context, on the day of judgment, it would be acceptable. But there'll be a tafsir of it. We'll have to bring the exact tafsir of that statement and how the scholars explain the statement. If it is referring to the day of judgment, then there's no issue. But if there is anything outside of that, then we'll look into the tafsir, inshallah. But that can be a homework for this week as well then. The homework for this week is to look into this statement, The one whom my soul is in his hand. One of the scholars mentioned about this particular statement, which you see often in the narrations, in the hadith. That is what you can look into for this week. And inshallah ta'ala then we'll carry on next week after the Isha prayer.